Welcome to Film Fight Club, the show where we don't talk about film, we fight about film. I'm Glenn Falkenstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Chris Evans, a Sydney filmmaker. Hello, hello. And Virat Nehru, a freelance writer and critic. Hello, everyone. Now, we've got a big show planned, but before we go into the show, we have to talk about the rules of Film Fight Club. The first rule being, of course, you do not talk about Film Club. Second rule is, you do not talk about Film Club. The third rule is, when the ref says stop, the fight is over. And the fourth rule? Only two to a fight. Fifth rule, one fight at a time. Sixth rule, and the most important rule, no spoilers. And last rule, if this is your first night at Film Club, you have to fight. Now, first up, it is the film of the week, and the film is King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. We are fresh off the press, and we have only just seen this. And it is the new feature by director Guy Ritchie of Snatched and Lockstock fame. It is starring Charlie Hunnam from Lost City of Z and... Uh, Sons of Anarchy, Jude Law, uh, the Pope now? Yes, the young Pope. Make Jude Law young again. Make Jude Law young again. Young for uh, a Pope. (laughs) He is, he is. And uh, quite a big cast. And it is a, oh, it's a medieval epic. There are swords, there's fighting, there's lots of English banter. There's all the things you'd expect from a film, but... Uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite the feature. It's quite eclectic. It's a strange one. Uh, I thought it would be a really cool one for the first ten minutes or so because there's this dark propulsiveness, you know, great um, dark fantasy imagery. It starts. It's like a Lord of the Rings ripoff, uh, but put up to this, you know, on a massive gothic overstatement level. Uh, and then it declines from there. Yeah, it's very much the King Arthur story you know, you'll have seen it in Sword and the Stone, in Star Wars, in any number of epics. And there are a few cool flourishes. In fact, the sword, the stone itself, um, uh, how they created is a new innovation, which is actually one of the best parts of the film. But this is a typical Guy Ritchie fair, and if anyone has seen Sherlock Holmes or even The Man from Uncle will know, there are a lot of montages. And I think there's even one montage within a montage yeah uh it's a movie full of montages but the problem (laughs) is that i don't think these montages are really communicating anything beyond a feeling of macho coolness but this macho coolness is all the film has to say and we see it again and again and again and again um there is something cool about the use of the montages in that guy Ritchie knows that we know the beats of this kind of story so he uses the montage uh, format to skip over the parts of the story that we might otherwise suffer through. So I think that's fair enough. He he doesn't care about it. He knows we don't care about it. Great. But as more and more of these montages stack up, you realize that Guy Ritchie doesn't actually care about anything in the film. And that's the main problem with this. There's no passion. It's montages and visual chaos and CGI in place of story or character. It's a mega style of a substance. But affair. isn't that the problem of every Guy Ritchie film ever, that it's more style and no substance. Well, this is the thing. I mean, Snatched and Lockstock are such classics. He had a series of, actually, there's not very good films. The Man from Uncle was not so much for a turn to form, but it was an entertaining feature. I kind of liked Man from Uncle because it was fun. It, it, it was. That was a fun film. This is a, a major decline. The, the major difference, is, though, with Man from Uncle is that there's something to the characters in that film he cares about the characters and he cares about the games they play and that's supporting all the stylistic excess king arthur beyond being a a guy ritchie style london or in this film's vernacular londinium londinium (laughs) (laughs) they they love the fact that they've they've, they've, (laughs) of londinium so 
no other locations I feel are mentioned in this film, but they make sure to say Londinium about 25 times. It's like reading an Asterix comic. I, wow. Yeah. I, I gotta tell you. But, I mean, look, yeah. look, there are a lot of great accents in this film. Jamon Honsu, but they, they have really, nothing to do. Nothing to do. They don't understand that. Yeah. Even when the big fight is happening, we're like, oh my God, there is a fight scene where there's all these soldiers and all these fighters who are toned and butchers waiting for a fight, and it lasts for. Wait, we're very excited. And then it lasts for all of. 30, 40 seconds. It's basically a 300 meets the burly brawl in uh, Matrix Reloaded affair every oh, time oh there's gosh. a fight. Well, well, I looked at it as Game of Thrones and an H&M ad. I mean, right. it's all, you know, you have the sacrifices, you have a lot of imagery, you have a lot of a- two actors, very prominent actors in Game of Thrones, but none of the mythology, none of the overarching, engaging story, but, and more significantly, Lord of the Rings. I mean, even if you're a casual Lord of the Rings fan or viewer, you will notice very many stylistic flourishes, including yeah. the very opening, and a tower with a fiery eye, which is, oh, no, we, we've just, we've everyone seen Return of the King. We've got but giant elephants uh, engaged in battle with hundreds of little ant-sized soldiers. We've wow. got we've got you know powerful glowy armored dudes flinging people around. I with wonder a sword. what Peter Jackson thinks about this. I, I'd say he's too busy just swimming in money, Scrooge McDuck <laughs> style, to care right now. Yeah, I, I hope he doesn't see it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, I mean, the, the, how the mighty have fallen. Look, there, was, there was a lot of potential here, but there's a great scene where you know we think we're going to see a fight scene, and then just a giant animal rocks up and wrecks havoc, and that's it. There's that's no it, need gone. For, yeah, it's exactly. Gone. I think there was, there's potential in the imagery and the themes here for there to be an actual moral dimension and something we care about. I mean, um, there's a lot of human sacrifice involved from the villain. So I was looking to care. I saw potential to care. And the film had no issue of meeting me on, no, yeah, no intention of meeting me on that level. Um, no, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. like you, 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 you want to enjoy this. There's some amazing imagery in it, like the scene with the lady in the lake. Yeah, it's fantastic. It, it, it's so, but, but it's just wasted. Yeah, I feel like I'm flipping through a graphic novel, and I would like this as a graphic novel. I would enjoy this as a graphic novel, but as a film where you need to fill in the blanks, the first two scenes with Charlie Hunnam are just him shirtless working out. What do we end up knowing about? I actually Charlie want to Hunnam? see that. Yeah, <laughs> okay, okay, yes, that does appeal to a wide audience. But you know, for... Look, Charlie, Charlie Hunnam's great. He 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 is actually quite a magnetic screen presence. But what do we know about his character by the end of this? Basically, all we know is he looks good shirtless. He looks good shirtless. He one, he's a a heroic guy. He's a guy rich. He speaks like. London Street, Guy Ritchie style. Oh. Um, he so likes. He wants to do Jason Statham, essentially. Yeah, yeah basically. You know, he's Jason Statham. It's like, all right, he, there's one scene. It's like, all right, right. Now we're going to do this, and, I'm, and you're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and we're going to do that. And it's exactly out of Guy Ritchie's classic golden age, but it doesn't really work in 13th century England. No. Well, <laughs> I, I will say the transplanting of stylistic ticks that we associate with films set in the here and now onto the King Arthur legend even as it grows tiresome, is still the most interesting thing about this film because it gives it something of a personality. Without that, this movie would be nothing but a Lord of the Rings clone, CG, overdose. Yeah, at least it gives this movie something. And occasionally it works. It works early on before the film just repeats the same takes ad nauseum. Yeah, I mean, we do have a few Sword in the Stone King Arthur films coming up, including well, the Star Wars saga, which is continuing in a sense. But it's nice <laughs> to know in a way that we have already seen the most outrageous, over-the-top, outlandish iteration of that. Gosh, I feel old now, considering I used to like Guy Ritchie, and that's a long time since he's made a good film. Wow. Yeah. It just hit me right now. He's part of the machine now. Oh, God. Well, look, I mean, this, look, 
King Arthur is in cinemas this week, but there are other action films as well, including John Wick 2, which we'll be talking about uh, shortly, right after quick break. Stay tuned. I guess I'll have to change my plan. On May 27, you may well have to change your plans if you don't want to miss the 2SER Bob Dylan Birthday Marathon. 2SER's celebration of all things Bob will go for eight hours and feature news, reviews, interviews, the Bob Dylan quiz and all the Bob songs that fit, starting at 8pm and going through till 4 in the morning. The Bob Dylan Birthday Marathon on 2SER, May 27 from 8pm. 2SER 107.3. Stories, ideas, music and Bob. Don't miss your chance to see the final episode of Just Words recorded live at 107 Projects in Redfern on Thursday, May 18, from 7pm. 2SER is really excited to announce that Jeremy Jones from the Australia, Israel and Jewish Affairs Council will be joining us on the night as a live guest to debate the merits of 18C. Tickets are selling fast, so don't miss out. Buy yours today, and when you arrive on the night, you'll also go on a lucky door prize to win Audio-Technica headphones. Just head to the 2SER website, 2SER.com. And we're back on Film Fight Club. Now, the other huge action film coming out this week is one I'm very excited to see again, which is John Wick 2. Now, this is the sequel to uh, Sleeper Hit, which has grown increasingly popular, the one all your friends were telling you about, starring uh, Keanu Reeves, where he, basically the Russian mob killed his dog and he decided to go after them all. It is a fantastic premise for an action film, and they have now made a sequel, which is, every, in my view, is everything from the first film that you loved, but so much more. They have dialed it up, and it is, oh, it is really something. But isn't it weird that the first film, which was such a huge hit in Australia, now for the second one, Australia is the last, one of the last places on earth to get a release, which is so weird. But what is this? Like, we are Keanu fans. We like him. And what's so spectacular about this film is, a lot of people don't realise, this is a film directed by Keanu Reeves' former stunt double. And he, Reeves is doing all the stunts. There's no illusions here. It is him in those scenes. And they work so well together. It was on display in the first film, and it is on display here. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That is true, but unfortunately, I, I didn't like it. After a point, it felt like a video game RPG sort of, you know, first player action sequence. And there were only as many headshots that I can sort of handle in a film before it seems comical. And it becomes redundant after a while. Right. That's interesting because in John Wick 1, it's, it's a really enjoyable film with, as Glenn mentions, really clearly shot action. But even in that, I was getting a little bit sick of headshots about you know three quarters of the way through it. And I'm hearing this is a way expanded Ab film. So. Absolutely. I mean, the, the one scene everyone will remember from the first one was the club scene, which just is onslaught of death. And there are a few scenes like that in this film. Look, I look at this film and I think Aliens versus Alien. You know, Aliens really ramped it up. It was enjoyable in a much a kinetic sense. Uh, this is a... And what I love about this film is that they take all the interesting elements that were really left unexplored in the first film, this underworld of assassins, which he now, because of his actions in the first film, has to go back into. And they have their own currency. They have their own language. They have their own laws. And they go into this in real depth. And it's really fascinating to see. My problem with this is that too much of a good thing makes it a bad thing. And I think this is the problem with the sequel. What the first film had, and that's what's missing from this film, is the emotional quotient. You know, 
when John Wick lost his wife and the dog, you really felt for him. And there was an emotional undercurrent at stake. So you really rooted for him when he went out to get revenge. Yeah, it's a concept that sounded funny on paper that, you know, they shot his dog. So now he had to shoot everyone. But in act, the actual execution, yeah, and, and it the really way Keanu works. played it, he played it very straight faced. And he actually, you could see the connection that he had because he'd lost everything and the dog was the only thing that he had left. So but at that point, you really did care about him. But for this film, it just felt really forced because everything kind of happened and yet you didn't really care because it was just a slugfest. And the villain, the first film had a really good villain. He was funny. His one-liners were really funny and I really enjoyed him. He was self-deprecating and he was kind of you know, somebody I would like to hang out with. No, I will I will pay that. The villain wasn't the best thing in this film, but was was great about this one was a few new characters, Ruby Rose as uh, the Vane villain's bodyguard, as an assassin, and Common as the bodyguard for another major figure in the film. And, Re- and John Wick is obviously one of the major personalities in this world, and now you're slowly getting to see and explore a few of those others. But yeah, I will, I will point out for any Matrix fans, there is an Easter egg here, oh dear. and a character makes an appearance, and all of you who've been holding out for a reunion will see your dreams fulfilled. This is really... Quite amazing. When I saw the Merovingian, no. No, no, no. No no, no, reveals here. No No spoilers. spoilers. I know the rules. And he had a good role. He had a funny role. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it. And he was funny. And it's amazing. But at the same time, it's wasted in this film. Because after a while, I just didn't care about the rules in which this world functioned. And Ruby Rose, she's kind of... Okay, maybe because I'm seeing it after Return of Xander Cage, in which she played a similar role. It felt like... She's now being typecast into this kind of position. I hope she picks her future character a bit more wisely. Well, she has, does, however, have one of the best scenes in the film. There's a scene in an art gallery, which is just an epic <laughs> shootout. That is and, true. And there are these mirror sequences. I'm not really sure what they're going for. There's all this Italian Im- imagery. Part of the film is set in Rome. And whereas the first film was pretty much a straight-out shoot shootout, this really tried to... At the end, in terms of its... Yeah, yeah. Th- there is somewhat allusions to religious symbolism and the film tries to go for that but it's very superficial I mean they're not yeah. trying to go for anything yeah. you don't have to use your brain so was the first one Dante's Inferno is this uh, <laughs> paradise I, I don't know yeah look the look, Reeves is Reeves for years and years is looking for a role which showcases what he's talented he's dry he's direct he's, a, he's stronger than a lot of films but this and knock knock Oso, you could see yes. that sort of stuff on yeah. display but this He's really come out. He is someone who is physically capable of doing these sort of roles. And that dry, direct, you know, when he's confronts Common in a scene in Rome, it's there's no one I could think of who would be better suited to play John Wick and oh, take yeah. on. The very deadpan sensibility that Keanu Reeves has is very difficult to pull off. And I think this franchise has done for Reeves what I think The Kingsman has done for Colin Firth. Completely reinvented how you see him. And it's fascinating. In fact... Colin Firth and the Kingsman, that's kind of my pick for an action hero right now, which I never thought I would say in a million years, but gosh. Yes, the sequel's coming out uh, in a few months with Elton John, of all people, so I'm very, very excited. However, John Wick 2, this has the makings of a pretty epic world. They've created an entire underworld of assassins and gentleman behavior shrouding this very violent, violent element. And it's so interesting. Yeah, even though I didn't like this film, I did, I can say that it sets up 
the things for the sequel very well. So I'm actually excited for chapter three because how the film ends is actually quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's so. This is one that is very engaging and one that you will. I might be one to see. Um, we should go to a quick break, but we will be back talking about Twin Peaks and all things David Lynch. Stay tuned. Sydney Film Festival is now on sale. There's over 350 screenings of 288 films from 62 countries over 12 days in 10 venues. From the magnificent State Theatre in the city to the Ritz Cinema in Randwick, there's bound to be a film and venue just right for you. It all happens from June 7 to 18, and you can buy your flexi passes or single tickets right now at sff.org.au. Sydney Film Festival, proudly sponsoring 2SER 107.3. Join Sydney Writers Festival's most celebrated guests as they reveal the books that made them want to become writers. Featuring Man Booker Prize winner Tom Keneally, acclaimed writer Robert Desai, Hannah Kent, author of The Good People, Ian Rankin, best-selling writer behind Inspector Rebus, and Pulitzer Prize finalist Joy Williams. Wednesday, May 24, at Sydney Town Hall. Tickets on sale at swf.org.au. Sydney Writers Festival, sponsors of 2SER 107.3. And we're back on Film Fight Club. Now, David Lynch fans, there are many, many, many out there, including some here. And <laughs> there is uh, this week the launch of, of the t- a 25-year hiatus. How incredible is that of Twin Peaks? There's been a film, there's been a series, a much-loved series, a ripoff in the form of uh, Archie Comics going really dark, which is actually quite fun. But David Lynch... And Twin Peaks, he is someone... That's Riverdale, for those listening who are intrigued by the idea of Twin Peaks meets Betty and Veronica. Yes, go. Please do watch it. The final episode airs this week on Netflix. And but it's pretty bad. It's, it's, that, that's another fight. <laughs> another fight, fight within a fight. Fight within a fight. Oh, so it's like a montage within a montage. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's okay, though. It's David Lynch. <laughs> yeah, which, which That's right. So, and only one element of David Lynch, which has proved very divisive, something people love, but it's something <laughs> people have hated. A panel, how do we feel about... David. Well, first of all, you might be wondering why we're talking about Twin Peaks, a TV show on our program Film Fight Club, but David Lynch has said that he considers this new series of Twin Peaks to be a film that is on television so that it can he can create a film of the length he's creating, 18 hours. Um, the first four hours of which will be available on Stan from Monday, May the 22nd. I'm incredibly excited about this because I'm a huge Lynch fan. I think he's in top form and he's just following up on what I believe is the apex of his art and his best film and, in my opinion, one of the greatest cinematic achievements of all time, Inland Empire. Which nobody has seen. But I feel... Which nobody else liked. I feel... Yes, yes. (laughs) I, I had a feeling that that statement might create some divergent discourse, but... Yeah, and I think I, let's flag that because I think most people who say, oh, I love David Lynch, have only seen Mulholland Drive. Uh, maybe or, two episodes and, of Twin Peaks. And maybe, maybe Blue Velvet. Maybe Blue Velvet. Maybe Blue Velvet because that's as far as back as they go. So Yeah, I've known people to say, oh, I'm a huge David Lynch fan. And then I think, oh, I found a kindred spirit. And I start talking to them about Inland Empire. And they say, what was that? The rabbits? Yeah, the ah. rabbits. That, that just got me. Like, <laughs> I, I like Laura Dern. And, but this, I, we, well, I sat through this in my roommate for three hours. And we just, oh, we didn't know what to do. Like, do we, we, we can't stop. And we got to a point where we just couldn't stop. Yeah. Guys, I think we're going to be Lynch for this. <laughs> so, okay, I will try my best to put up a passionate defense of this film. But first of all, I'd like to know, Virat, why is it you don't like it? Or what do you like or dislike about David Lynch? 
I think at the time that Lynch started his career, you know, in the time of the late 70s, early 80s, he was a tour de force, I, I will agree. In his early mm. films, Razorhead, Elephant Man, that kind of Dune as well. That kind of sensibility. You're a fan of Dune. I am a fan of that Dune. That is interesting. And I'm also a fan of Jodorowsky's Dune as well. Right, I'm a right. fan of both, which is amazing. There aren't many. There Don't aren't many. It's as rare as an Inland Empire fan. I, 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 I respect that. <laughs> you respect that? I'm sorry. I, I, I need to rewatch <laughs> Dune, but I remember thinking it was weird and interesting. Uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Chris. Yeah. Weird, so, like, interesting. Like, are you defending Lynch now? Is this what's happened? No, the thing is, there is a clear demarcation between early Lynch, who I'm a fan of, and this late career Lynch, who I feel is an imposter. Because honestly, these two people are not the same, and they've not been the same person for a long time. I I agree that there's been a shift. I would call it an evolution in his art. But why is it that you see it as a? You devolution? mean a devolution? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> why why is it that you see it as a devolution? And what is it that you like in the earlier work that you see as not so satisfying in the latter work? One of the things that I think is important is actually the context of the time. And I think the way people engaged with Lynch's work when it came out, it was truly different. And it was truly surreal in a way that he was thematically linked and it wasn't following narrative structure theory in the way we understand Lynch or we understand general work. But now, I think a lot of Lynch's aesthetic elements have already been absorbed by the directors. You know, the best of... Inland Empire and even Wild at Heart can be found in Black Swan by David Lin- David Fincher. Oh, oh I think um, Black Swan was a very, 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 very watered down version of the psychological reality that David Lynch tries to build. I, I agree. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that that's not the point. The point is, though, a lot of directors have taken the best elements of Lynch and really recreated their own interpretations of that. So now, when we look at Lynch, it doesn't feel like as amazing because now we're so used to that kind of surreal intentions and also i think audiences are not willing to engage with lynch because they're not as trusting we're not willing to let go of our disbelief as much as we would back in 25 years ago but it's not just that with lynch i mean he made some amazing character studies in his early career one film people overlook is the elephant man yes and it's it's a wonderful film john hurt and this was you know a a normal film there isn't anything too ecstatic or crazy and out there in his later uh, later iterations but this is a very well acted very well performed film on anthony hopkins best uh you mentioned Razorhead, blue Mm -hmm. velvet one of those frightening performances from an actor i've ever seen dennis hopper and i love his early stuff but i find it really difficult to engage with i think post Mulholland Drive Lynch. Yeah. Even Mulholland Drive. I mean, I can't imagine that won the BBC Critics Poll as the number one film. Okay, that, 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 that poll asked critics not what your best film is, but what films would you rate? And they found the most critics rated on any level Mulholland Drive. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's I the know, best. but still, I find that flabbergasting. I mean, just look at yourselves in the mirror, critics. What are I, you doing? I think the listening to what Virat was saying, I, I like Mulholland Drive, but I'm not maybe passionate enough to be riled up by these statements. You can't say that out loud. <laughs> so. Mulholland Drive has some great moments. It launched the figure for, international career for many of the Emmy Watts. Yeah. And yes. there's a fantastic Who scene. Who's in returning the... in Twin Peaks, season three. Wow. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. And there's a fantastic scene in the diner, which... Oh, yeah. One of the greatest jump scares of all time. Absolutely. The thing about Mulholland Drive is it's. I think it's very messy as a narrative, but it has something for everyone. There's a scene yeah. in there that everyone will like, even if you don't like the whole thing, which might be the reason 
why a lot of critics rate it without necessarily putting it as number one. Um, but going off what Virat was speaking about before, I think there's been a shift in Lynch's approach, whereas in the past he would start introducing a traditional narrative that has a lot of familiar elements, just enough to get under your skin and then surprise you with the shocking darkness that it goes yeah. to. Um, the appearance of the psychopathic Frank after the blue pick, uh, skies and white picket fences in yes. Velvet being a good example of that. Um, or Bob in a uh, typical suburban living room in Twin Peaks, disturbing yep. the peace with sheer benevolence. <laughs> but what, what I think David Lynch has done now, knowing that audiences are less trusting, less willing to uh, simply believe in uh, the, uh, you know, the Im- image in a time when we're now so saturated with images, is instead to carve the medium in half essentially to create build up one idea of what a movie is in your mind so that you until you start to immerse yourself and trust and go with the narrative and then rather than simply introduce dark elements split the film in half akin to what Bergman does in Persona you know goes yeah. straight to the heart of darkness and weirdness I love watching Chris just bring out his inner Lynch because He's doing the same hand gestures that Lynch does in his interviews. <laughs> if you could watch Chris right now he, in our studio, he's so happy. He's just doing his inner Lynch impersonation with all the funny hand it's gestures. It's a beautiful and- dream. <laughs> and the we- most <laughs> wonderful things can happen okay. if you listen I think, I think to we your lost mind. Half the people. It's, it's too, much. <laughs> too much. Everyone's tuned out. We walked out. We've got a mass walkout right now happening. Uh, but uh, I think one of the main problems I have with Lynch, or I think today engaging with Lynch is the very fact that you've mentioned. Because Lynch used to set up in his earlier work a clear dichotomy and a clear rules about how this world is going to operate. Yes, he's a realist. That's mm. fine. But that doesn't mean that you can just create anything. He still was very clear about thematic links that were supposed to draw you into the world. And that's why you were willing to suspend disbelief. Right. But at this point now, post-Twin Peaks, anything is done... It's all very wishy-washy. Right. Um, I would say I still think there is a thematic link running through Lynch, even at the point where he's going the most crazy these days. I think his films still work on a structure. It's just a different sort of structure to what we're used to in narrative film format, especially as he's gone the furthest down the Lynchian rabbit hole with Inland Empire. Uh, That's a film that a lot of people think doesn't make any sense or completely falls apart as the narrative is abandoned. And I agree. I don't, I don't think films it, it need do, to make sense. Make, but I mean, do you, now right. You, you don't think it, it needs to make sense, but I don't you still think films don't as a medium need to make sense. I agree with that. I, I think I can say cheers to that. But wow, you still, we, we agree with it about right, something about Lynch. David Lynch? <laughs> but, you, <laughs> but, you, but you still didn't find it worked for you, even though it not not because it didn't make sense. No, that's not about that. It's about how you set up the rules about your own universe. Right. And that's the problem. I think Lynch has never been explicit post Twin Peaks about how the actual internal logic of that world is supposed to work. Because it's only on that basis that I'm going to believe or disbelieve someone. That is true. Um, I think what Lynch has been going with lately has been to try and simulate nightmares um, to create... I mean, in, in Twin... I mean, isn't that... Is- Sort of raison d'etre anyway. That's true, but if we <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> yeah, but if we go back to you know Twin Peaks and before that, I agree. There's a demarcation there. Those set up a, a strange kind of universe that works according to supernatural forces. Um, but his later films 
leave you confused as to how the yep. universe is actually working. The difference, I guess, between me and Virat's takes on it is that I find it intoxicating to be lost in that confusion. I find he leaves just enough little, I suppose, clues or hints, you'd say, um, though they might not be leading to any actual narrative reality. So maybe it's better to call it light through the dark tunnel to, for me to feel that I can work my through, way through the darkness. Well, that is David Lynch. Twin Peaks will be premiering this week. It's pretty exciting. We're having many more discussions about David Lynch, I'm sure, in the coming weeks and months. Now, we're almost out of time, but we get to talk about our 30 seconds of excitement, what we're looking forward to over the coming weeks. Um, Golden Age Cinema are playing every uh, all the latest Sydney Film Festival winners, Sydney Prize winners from the past few years. They're right down the road in Surrey Hills. Definitely something worth checking out. I'll be seeing a few myself. Chris? I'm, as you can imagine, looking forward to Twin Peaks. But beyond that, I'm hearing very good things about Alien Covenant. Still haven't had a chance to catch up with it myself. After being very disappointed by Prometheus and skeptical of Ridley Scott's recent work, I'm keen to see him take on a real horror movie. And uh, thanks to the Australian Film and Television Radio School, we have a collection of short films by acclaimed directors like Jane Campion, Gillian Armstrong and Ivan Stein all to view for free on ABC iView. So if you've got ABC iView, which I think everyone has, just uh, log in and have a look at some of the great short films that they've got on there because, you know, anybody can make a film. Absolutely. So we're going to... Now, has everyone booked for the Sydney Film Festival or are we getting their tickets? Everyone Booked oh, a few. I've need to book more. Got my... Complete my... Two flexi passes, 20 passes already full. Virat's oh, wow. on the ball. Yeah. <laughs> but there's always late comers. Like, personal shop was late announcement last year. I know. Year. So yeah, I they... need to buy extra tickets or, like, you know, let go of some. They always mess up your uh, schedule. You kill, can make kill, the kill perfect some of my darlings. plan and then suddenly <laughs> they throw a ball through it. It's like all, all those all can't stuff, all these independent films. Oh, I'm, I'm hoping they pick at least one Hank Sang Soo film from that, Khan. Yes, I, I can agree with that. there are four of them and we have got Wait, none. He has four at Khan? That's insane. No, 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 not at Khan, but like four in the sort of recently recently that have not cool cool no it's it's very exciting and we'll be more on the city film festival in coming weeks uh we're a film fight club and we'll see you next wednesday night enjoy movies good night good night everyone good night